Hello and welcome back to the Couch Game Podcast. My name is Ryan Parker and we're back, Matt. I'm joined, as always, by Matt Chamberlain. How you doing, Matt? Well, I wasn't quite in Cancun, but, you know, <laughs> I was on a beach somewhere um, with, without my beloved Boston Celtics um, because they weren't on TV. And, I mean, yeah, they could have been there with you for all I know. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they were not. We do not stay in the same resort. <laughs> um, but they were on a beach somewhere and so was i you know it's ironic that uh i went to the beach last summer during the playoffs and the th- thunder were eliminated shortly after uh you went to the beach and then the celtics were eliminated shortly after i think if our teams get in the playoffs we just have to schedule not going to the beach anymore it's a bad omen or, or we just knew. We knew. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, last year, the Thunder weren't getting very far. That's fair. That's yeah. a fair point. I knew who the Boston Celtics were playing in the round one of the playoffs this year. So. Hey, you called it before the season even started. You're like, this team's this team's limited. And I was like, what are you talking about, Matt? This is the Eastern Conference Finals team. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. I, I said I hoped they would make a little playoff noise. But I said in the beginning, they were going to be a six. So they were a seven. And it went about as well as you'd expect. So, you know, it's, it's a growth year, um, growth offseason. Um, and we'll talk more about Boston and the drastic turnover they're undergoing. But we'll get there. We will. And uh, before we dive much further into episode 111, uh, let me remind everyone to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. If you search for Couchium Podcasts, you'll find us there. If you haven't yet, give us a rating and or a review on uh, the podcast platform of your choice. And we would greatly appreciate that. If you missed episode 110, it was a little bit ago. Matt and I have had travel. Uh, and so we are just back recording episode 111. We talked about the start of the playoffs and we talked about some play in results. Matt, we're skipping news. The news does not exist anymore on this podcast because we're bringing back my favorite segment that we do of the entire year and that's one two three cancun (laughs) Uh, we're going to be talking about the teams that have exited the playoffs uh kind of just hit on a bullet point or two uh about what that team needs to do this offseason while they're uh sipping some margaritas on the beach somewhere uh and what the front offices can do to help them matt let's start in the west Let's start with the Dallas Mavericks since they were eliminated last in yeah. the first round. What well, I mean, it's just one point, right? It's just get Luca help. That's all it is. They made it to a game seven. They almost made it to round two. Get get him a number two that's not named Kristaps Porzingis. Oh boy! Remember, uh-huh. remember when that trade came across? We thought the Mavericks could be like legit title contenders with these two. And it just has not happened with Kristaps. Yeah. The fact that that's turned into like the Tim Hardaway trade now is <laughs> pretty, pretty disappointing. And like the Knicks still like having like a Dallas pick like this year in the draft for that. That, that was about to be like a, uh, like halfway through the year. That was going to be a lottery pick. Yeah. That was, and- that was just worrisome for Dallas. Like in theory, you got like the tangible, you know, assets here in terms of these players. And in theory, they fit perfectly. I don't think this is a Luca problem, obviously, but like, this is not what you thought you were getting 
when you traded for Kristaps Porzingis. Tim Hardaway's worked out, but that's it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that the, I mean, knee injuries, surgeries, obviously a setback Kristaps' career significantly. Um, and that's dating back to the days with the Knicks as well. That's not just a Dallas thing for him. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate because Luca obviously is a talent who's ready to compete. Um, and I, it was really close. I mean, they were up to nothing on yeah. the Los Angeles Clippers coming back to Dallas and they didn't win a home game. They lost yeah. four of the next six. Yeah. That's, that was the thing after they went up 2-0, I was like, there's just no way that LA is going to take four out of the next, next five. five. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just not going to happen. And sure enough, it did. But part of it is, you know, we're in the playoffs and we still in the second round and saw it obviously in the first round is like, you just have to have guys that can get a bucket for you, like momentum stopping or momentum shifting buckets. Um, and obviously Luke is a dude in that category, make one of the top guys in the league on it. But like the next guy for like, I'm going to go get Dallas a bucket right now is Jalen Brunson. Like, and he he stopped getting minutes in this series. Yeah, that was pretty wild. Um, after like, especially early on when they got that two lead, like he was like the guy in the fourth quarter, a lot of the times getting buckets. Um, but like it went Luca, Jalen Brunson, Tim Hardaway Jr., and then Kristaps. Like that was the order. Like the Dallas Mavericks legitimately had to turn to for like we need a bucket right now. Yeah, who do we give the ball to? And, and then at, at times it flipped to like Dorian. Uh, Finney, Finney yeah. Smith, and then Kristaps. Like, do, I, I haven't looked at the stats for that series, but I'd be curious to see like the shooting percentages and see if Dorian Finney Smith finished with a higher shooting percentage in the series than Kristaps did. I would not be shocked at all if that was the case. It's just like they can't incorporate Kristaps like into their offense like fluidly, and if he does what we've seen him do now pretty consistently i mean he he is less of a player than like maxi kleber like yeah. we like we talk about chicago can't figure out what to do with Lori markinen Lori markinen today is as good as christoph sportsingus like, <laughs> like, that's just kind of where we're at here and i don't mean to compare just tall white guys that can shoot but like that's kind of the archetype like we're just talking about here so yeah. is what it is but like and theory Kleber is better because Kleber can play defense. And even though he missed a thousand shots in the playoffs, at least he, you knew he was giving you something. Yeah. That's the one thing that Kristaps career has just absolutely disintegrated in on that side of the ball is just rim protection. Cause he's a five now, like there's no, with all of these knee injuries, there's no hopes of him being a four. No. Um, and he, he just does not have the ability to, to protect the rim. Um, and that's what Dallas needs. Three. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's just so bad. Like there's no, it, it's like playing a late defense. It's part of the reason that Mavericks lost the series. Yeah. And well, it's like, if at this point, if Kristaps Porzingis could be Brooke Lopez, that would be a thousand times over win for Dallas. Yeah. They don't pay, they are paying him way more than Brooke. Uh, Lopez gets paid but like that's what they want is like get us be a massive human being in front of the rim and don't get too in the way in terms of spacing on offense and hit the occasional three like if you could do that 
like Dallas, I'm not saying they absolutely for sure win that series against LA, but I'm, they already were getting deep into the series against them. So maybe they do. So, right. We can dive more into them when we get to our off season pods later, but like, that's the big point. It's like, they need a guy next to Luca and it's just not Porzingis and that's okay. Yep. It's just not him. Yep. Um, we'll go Memphis next. So you said here, and I totally agree with this, that they have a really great set of young guys. Like they've drafted super well the last like three years. So is it like time to consolidate it? Like at what point do you have too many 20 year olds and you need to need to do something with them now? Yeah. I, I mean like that, that moment they had going to golden state to win the play in and get themselves in the playoffs was a huge step for this group, but we need to see consistency on the court for guys like Jaron Jackson jr. We know what we're going to get from Jonas Valanciunas. We know what we're getting from Kyle Anderson and even guys like uh, um, Grayson Allen. Like we kind of know what we're getting from those guys. Um, And job Morant has solidified him as a star uh, himself as a star in this league. So it's kind of time for um, other guys to start showing up like Jaron Jackson jr. But on the other side of that, it feels like they have like 10 to 11 guys they could play on the court on any given night. And that's cool. But when you run up against a team as talented as the Utah jazz, you just get outclassed really quickly. You need to know who like your eight are. So in theory, how do we consolidate four of these guys down to like one potential star type player or take five of these 11 or so guys and get two, you know, really great starters in the league, like in terms of like trades and whatever. Um, and you're right. And maybe part of this is just players like Jaron Jackson Jr. taking a significant step forward who missed, I mean, basically the entire year came right. back right at the very end. So right. it's not totally fair to like judge this season for him. I mean, the playoffs didn't go well for him, but you know, he played in a total of like 12 games this year. Yeah. So, you know, got to give the kid like time to like just get back on the court consistently. But you're right. Like Valentinus was good. Like D'Anthony Melton was good. Tyus Jones mm-hmm. is good. Right. Yeah. Kyle Anderson was good. So c- can we take some of these good players and maybe get a great player? Yeah. I, in theory, something like that is out there. And if you're Memphis, like if you see someone who's on a, a really terrific team friendly contract that you can go get by consolidating some of those guys like that would make perfect sense. But the problem is those guys aren't usually available for trade because what team wants to give up a wonderful starter on a team-friendly deal? Like, to be clear, Memphis is not going to be in the Bradley Beal sweepstakes. No, because they know they can't keep him. Right. You know? So that's the thing. It's like, who's on a a long-term deal that, like, you feel like, you know, in a year or two isn't going to say, I want out? I mean, we'll talk about this team here in a second, and maybe this would be a good uh, gap or bridge uh, to talk about. Would CJ be a good fit in Memphis? Yes. I mean, one, he would be a good fit in Memphis. Can you convince Portland to do the trade? I don't know. But I mean, you could probably just point at the fact that they've been bounced in the first round for the last five years. Yeah. But it's so it's like, 
I mean, I guess you give up you give up Kyle Anderson, you give up Anthony Melton, you might have to give up Tyus Jones also, and you give up like a first or something. You probably have to Portland would probably ask for two firsts, right? For CJ. Yeah. If you're not trading like a great young player. Yeah. Like Jaron Jackson Jr., then yes. And I don't know if you're Memphis, like, are you okay with that? It, in theory, yes. I, you have so many young guys, you can afford not to bring in more young guys right now. Right. You, like, you still have like Xavier Tillman on right. your roster, right? Like, guys who you did well in the second round of drafting. And maybe that's what Memphis can lean on is like, we know if we're picking at 40, we're going to still draft a good player because, like, we just know how to identify like junior guys. Juniors. Yeah. Yeah coming out of college and the guys that can help us so you know if you're memphis you certainly have to take calls and make calls but you probably don't feel rushed to make a move right now yet it's probably still where they're at um so you're right talking about portland transitioning over to them is and that's just like the big question here is the dame and or cj thing done i don't know i don't know matt like it, it you after a Western Conference Finals run and nothing else to show of it really in the decade outside of some really cool Dame moments uh, in terms of postseason success, what do you do? Where do you go from here? I mean, you start looking, obviously, at if you're an owner, you start looking at the front office, you start looking at the coach, which they already dismissed, uh, Terry Stotts, or they came, they agreed to mutually part ways. Um, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he got fired. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I I would trade CJ if I was in the front office. Like, it, it's not CJ's fault. He was obviously awesome to start this year, and we had that conversation on podcast. But then he gets injured, and their season kind of goes sideways. Dame has to save them quite a bit um, with teams he shouldn't necessarily have to save them with. Like, he had to hit two threes against the Bulls late to win, win a game against the Bulls. The Bulls aren't that good. They didn't make the playoffs this year. I don't know. Like, where, where do you go from here? What are your thoughts? So, I think if – so, obviously, you're getting a new head coach, right? If you're bringing in someone like Chauncey Billups, just for example, you're obviously still trying to win. Like. Right. You're, you're trying to give it at least one more year with Dame. Um, but this is also the same point we've seen teams, like if they say we're getting a new coach, we're just starting over. Like we'll do the the Houston thing. Now Houston, when they hired Steven Silas, for example, didn't really plan on everyone saying I'm out. But, you know, maybe maybe they knew it was going to happen. So if you're Portland, maybe you hope you bring in whomever – Damon T.J. are like, we'll give it one more try. Mm. And you say, okay, let's look at the rest of our roster. Who, who do we have under contract for 2021-22? Robert Covington at about $13 million. Yep. Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic is um, a team option. It's non-guaranteed. It's $12 million. $4 million of it's guaranteed. So you, you'd probably prefer to trade that than just waive him if you don't right. want him around. I, you could get someone to take Yusuf Narkic at $12 million. So, oh, okay. yeah, for sure. Norm Powell has a player option at $11.5 million. That, that feels like an opt-out. Um, 
trying yeah, to get Yeah, it feels like a $20 million type of player. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that he's already 28. He just turned 28, so... He's looking for a big contract. He's looking for, like, that four-year deal, and if he looks around and, like, this market's pretty dry, like, there's not a lot of stars out there, why can't I... If everyone's talking, like, it's Tim Hardaway Jr. going to get paid this offseason... <laughs> And, like, I'm not saying he won't, but, like, Norm Powell would be like, I can shoot as well as him, play better defense, and dribble. So, if he's getting 20, what am I getting? Yeah, right. So, if, I, if I'm if i Norm Powell, I'm probably opting out of that. And I, I would Portland, too. Portland's not going to be able to pay for him, to be honest. Derek Jones Jr. is at almost $10 million next year. Yeah, yikes. Anthony Simons has one more year at $4 million. Nasir Little had some flashes but like you know whatever and that's basically it and they're sitting at 130 million dollars right now so you know and that's with like Powell on the books at 11 and a half million so it's like the problem is even if like Norm Powell opts out and you're like we can't re-sign them we can't afford to pay Norm Powell 20 million dollars you're just losing that money then like and that opportunity to have a player because you have no cap space to go sign anyone else. So the problem is not that your team already feels incomplete. It's that if the players further decide that they don't want to be there, like Nurkic and Powell, for example, there's nothing you can do about it either. Like the roster spots is, are just gone and the savings are te- theoretically there, but not really there. So if you're Portland, it's like, how do you even build a basketball team right now? I mean, we've been saying this for the last two years with Portland, it feels like. I mean, this time has come when you've relied on Carmelo Anthony. Not that Carmelo Anthony is a bad player or was bad this past season. But you, when's the last time they were six? Yeah, when's the last time they took a wing player and it, like worked out for him? Like they had to go trade for Norm Powell and give up, what, two first for Robert Covington? Yes, like this team just made poor decisions time and time again in the draft. And now it's biting them in the butt, like drafting this year, little and him not being anything is a huge issue for them. Well, the problem is like, even if he's a thing for them in two or three years, that's can't cool. pay him. That doesn't, but that doesn't help you now when you have Daniel right. and you have CJ McCollum, like, you know, I don't have that draft in front of me, so I'm not saying, like, oh, you should have taken this guy or that guy. I don't have it in front of me. But, like, him, Simons took a while. Like, he looks like a good backup now. But, like, okay, why'd you draft a point guard when you already had two guards? Yeah. You know, right. Zach Collins, I mean, at the time that pick was questionable. It looks obviously significantly worse now because he hasn't been able to stay on the court at all. So, and then they didn't have a pick this past year because of the Robert Covington trade. So it's just like you, you missed in the draft. Okay. You trades haven't been awful, but you've had to pay pretty significant prices. So that's not great. And then when the pieces at the end of the day, just can't perform because of injury or don't perform because basketball, you're kind of just screwed. Like this is how it works. Yeah. I originally had a thought uh, when it looked like the Clippers could be out in the first round would Portland call about Paul George a CJ for Paul George some sort of package there um, it makes sense I don't think with the Clippers 
kind of maybe turning the corner in the playoffs that they would pull the trigger on that deal. Um, that was kind of like a panic scenario for both teams. Right. But like, I don't the, know. I, the problem of like on ball creation. So, right. But what, what's the, what's the, like, what's the trade for CJ? Like, who are you going to get for CJ? It, it, he's like this in between, like, second option, third option type of player. I don't know what the market is for that. And, like, are you, you're not trading for Andrew Wiggins. Like, you can't make that deal happen. No. I don't, I, like, I can't think of another player who would be available or, like, package of players. Like, could you, right. Like, I mean, we've talked about like the Memphis thing. Like, you could take on a bunch of really good role players, you know, the Kyle what, Andersons of the world. Doesn't that get you the same result in the playoffs then? Probably, you know, but at least you can build a 10 man team with that, you know, and yeah. just say, like, Dame, do your thing. Part of me is like, okay, the Nets have proven like you can still construct a team with three superstars, right? Just play the biomarket. So if a team is like, we have two, we don't know if we want a third, you could convince a team, like, you know, you can take CJ and still fill out a roster. We weren't able to do it because we're Portland, but you can do it in mm. Miami or wherever, yeah. right? Like Miami, in theory, is a good one if it's like a sign-in trade focused around, you know, Duncan Robinson or and or Kendrick Nunn. You know, yeah. something like that. Like, you know, attach Tyler Hero in there, um, which Miami apparently won't do. But, you know, but like, I guess someone that like has lofty expectations that like just hasn't hit it yet. So, I, but you're right. Like, there's not actually that many teams out there that you can easily convince. Like, you need CJ McCollum. Yeah. Maybe, I think the, uh, story, but. I think the Trailblazers really have to look at themselves in the mirror and decide what they want. Uh, from what I've heard from reporters uh, is that they're just going to hire a new coach and try to run it back. I, I can't blame them. Like no one wants to be the guy that like trades Damian Lillard, right? They can't trade Damian. Like there's like all these people posting about him in a Laker Jersey. He's like owed like $50 million at some point. So unless Anthony Davis is in the trade, it's not happening. Yeah. Straight up. You're right. Um, I mean, you can make Damian Lillard trades elsewhere work, but you know, like there's, you know, teams that'd be interested, but still not that many that can make the trades happen. Right. CJ, that that can make it happen. Don't get me wrong. It's just like convincing them that they should make it happen. Right. Does that put them in another level of championship contender? Right. And probably not. The answer is no. Like, why would we pay? You know, CJ McCollum, $30 million, um, which is what he's getting paid. Basically, he's getting paid 31 next year, 33 the year after, and almost 36 the season after that. So when, you know, teams are like, we could go get one of the Bogdanovich guys for 15 to 20 million a year. Yeah. And don't feel like we're really getting anything less, you know? Right. So I, I get wings are valuable. We've always said wings are more valuable than like bigs, for example, but overpaid wings are still overpaid. <laughs> you still have to write that paycheck. At some yeah. point. Um, we'll hit the last one in the West, the Lakers. Um, I, Ryan, what, what else do we say? 
we we've trashed their team. I mean, for the last two years. Yeah, I mean, they kind of spited us and won the championship last year. So, I don't. Of the three years LeBron has been in LA, didn't make the playoffs, won the championship, lost in the first round. Is this just like a question of health for LA? I, I, I just don't like. They probably make it past that Sun series. Like if you when Anthony Davis was healthy, and they were going, that series looked over, and then Anthony Davis get gets hurt, and the Suns win. I think they probably would have lost the Nets if they were all healthy, but you're still not winning a championship this year, in my opinion. So if you're playing like a completely healthy Nets team, I would agree with you. But if like somehow Milwaukee, you know, breaks through or the Nets only have two. Yeah. Or Philly makes it through somehow. I I don't know. I wouldn't if the Lakers were completely healthy, I wouldn't pick against the Lakers probably in any of those situations. Yeah, that's a fair point. I just don't know, like with the way LeBron looked, I know he wasn't hundred percent healthy. It just didn't look right. He didn't look like he could take over the game like he could in previous years. Um, I think it, when he said, this is Anthony Davis's team, I think he was really starting to mean that because I don't know if he can put this team for 42 minutes on his back. And I mean, we saw it in the first round. He couldn't do it. Like he couldn't get them out of a game six. Um, yeah. I watched those, some of those games though, like those last couple, he looked disinterested with that team he had out there. Like, yeah, he wasn't like, Schroeder's biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. <to> who? Like, <laughs> you know, he's played on some pretty terrible teams. I think it's kind of like the old man get off my lawn thing of yeah. like, I gotta deal with this guy. Like he's just to that age of he is like, I don't care about you. You know, and when he was 23 years old, he's like, Yeah, I'll play with, you know, Kyle Kuzma. By, like the Jonas Ogalskis and whatever, right? Like, I'll do that. I'll carry that team. But now he's like, give me Anthony Davis and my guys or get me out of here. You know? So question for you, which team was worse? 2018 Cavs or this year's Lakers? I mean, you, I mean, I know I've said on the pod, like I'm not the biggest Schroeder, KCP, Kuzma, Andre Drummond guy. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. 2018, the guy Cavs team was pretty bad too. Though. But he got him to the finals, right? Like, yeah, they, they they got they won the East that year, and I mean the East. It wasn't like they were playing world beaters either. I think if LeBron was truly like, I'm 100 percent into this. I don't care what the finals outcome is going to be. I'm just I'm going as hard as I can. I think he could have got this Lakers team past the Suns, and past the Nuggets. For sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. At worst, if he absolutely was like, I'm setting my mind to this, I'm getting past the first two rounds, I think he would have, to be I, honest. And it's just like, but a why? Why am I going to put myself through that to know, like, we're going to run into either Utah, which he says he's not scared of Utah. I get it. Right. So maybe he still gets to the finals, but like, he knows, like, even with a healthy AD, like, that would have been a tough series against the Nets if they were even going to win it at all. Yeah, that's a fair point. I uh, I also wonder if like the bubble, like we've heard the bubble was just wearing on teams that made it 
that far into the bubble um, last season. And I wonder if just some of that just was wear and tear on this team because a lot of it came back, right? Um, I mean, if, if we said it burned out Brad Stevens, why couldn't it have had a similar effect on players? And right. Like we know it did. And right. LeBron, like, he's got to be privy to that also. Like, just like the human side of it. Like, not to go off on like too much of a left field thing, but like all of humanity has got pretty, you know, bogged down by COVID. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, I get it why even LeBron is like, I'm kind of done with you all, like just people right now and doing this. Yeah. Like, let me just go do my own thing for a little bit and then I'll come back and hit you up and do my thing again. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, that's, that's an excellent point. And uh, I'm sure you're more familiar with that than anybody else because you coached through COVID this year. Like you, <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. I think we've had multiple conversations about that off air about just your, I, the sludge of a season this was and what you played 13 games 12 games whatever it was i my like my squad got like 10 yeah like that's just the thing is like you never you never knew when you were going to play who you were playing with like what team you had going into the game there you would go into a game and then like two minute four tip off hey so-and-so is getting quarantined bum off the court like that sucks yeah like, and I was a coach. I can't imagine being a player and like having to deal with that all year on top of injuries, on top of if you're a professional athlete traveling the way you, I mean, I know you travel luxuriously because you're a part of the Lakers, but like, you know, still having to travel and everything and be away from your family and all that. So, <laughs> and yeah, doing it 72 like times. Toll on them. Yeah. Yeah. And doing it 72 times. Right. Like that, yeah. there's a huge toll there. Um, I, I just like, I don't know. I think I texted you in game six and I was like, LeBron's legacy is kind of on the line. You're like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. And after I thought about it more, it's really not like, it's not that big of a deal for LeBron to lose the series. Obviously like there's other extenuating circumstances going on here. Yeah, but moving like, as much as like, we want to like, some people want to downplay the bubble as like, it doesn't count. Some people want to overplay the bubble of like, it's the greatest championship ever because of everything you have to deal with. I mean, I personally think like it's on the harder side, not the easier side of winning that, but like, that's my personal opinion, but then like, okay. And then what you get no off season, right. Do it all again. And again, like we said, like we, we obviously acknowledge the greatness of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So the fact that we've killed their team, like the rest of the roster from three to 12, like for the last two years, like it's because it's been a bad roster. Right. Like it's like fine to have Mark Gasol as like your second big man, but the fact that they're like, that's the only option we have left. <laughs> By like game three, game four, they're like, we have no other chips to play here besides Mark Gasol more minutes and eventually the complete benching of Andre Drummond. It's like that's all they had. They that's had no other options. That's a great point is that like we celebrated Rob Polinka at the end of last year for that roster you put together for whatever godforsaken reason. I still couldn't figure that out. It was really just, you're right. He wanted a championship, but like the signing of Andre Drummond and like promising him starters minutes, because obviously there was a a promise there, not trading for Kyle, not try. Yeah. Montrez Harold. We knew he wasn't going to play. We saw it last year with the Clippers and guess what? He played five minutes in this series. Felt like it. It, 
and not trading for Kyle Lowry at the deadline, guess what? Yeah. Now you're strapped to Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Horton Tucker, and who else? Like yeah. you're probably not re-signing Dennis Schroeder at this point. Well, it's like, kind of like the the Portland thing, though, with some of those. You have guys. to. Like you, you kind of have to. Like otherwise, you're just losing the roster spot because the money is already so maxed out. And you're not signing him to a, a, a deal that can get net you Kyle Lowry. That's for sure. Yeah. Like it's it'd be some sort of sign and trade if he wanted to get rid of Schroeder, but still replace the roster spot and money allocation. So that's the thing is like, I just don't feel like it was handled well. Yeah. LeBron and AD were so great. Plus the mitigating circumstances last year, they won it. Cool. But this team has just always felt like a, like it's a bad team outside of your two superstars. And as long as those two superstars can do their thing, it's fine. But when it's, when they're not because they're hurt or whatever, then it's, then it's not. And sometimes like team building is that simple of do a good job. Things work relatively well and you still don't win a championship, do a bad job, but you have LeBron James and it works. Like you shouldn't get credit, like too much credit for that. But at the end of the day, you still have a ring. Right. You know, right. Let's go over the East. I'm done with this. Um, (laughs) So just to keep the pain train running. um, My Boston Celtics suck. Like we're we're just like a bottom five organization now. I don't know. <laughs> the 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 I can confirm. I was at Game Four of the Boston Celtics game, uh, Nets Boston Celtics Nets uh, series, and boy oh boy, uh, the world was ending in TD Garden. Yep. The there was fire everywhere. <laughs> it's like the SpongeBob meme. Like yeah, just, yeah, it was just goes. like a nightmare. I'm pretty sure. No one left happy. I mean, no one came in happy. No, but certainly no one left happy. Uh, and it was uh, it was a nightmare. Before, I mean, it was kind of a nightmare season, off season for the Boston Celtics in a lot of ways. The whole Kimba um, is like everyone like wants to love him, but we all know like these knees that they have about you know this much life. Yeah you know, left in them. You can't see my fingers. They're very, very close together here. Um, the Gordon thing, right? Like we, we just kind of squandered that whole situation. Now we were getting into this whole Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens ordeal where we're looking for a coach um, because Brad Stevens is elevating and Danny Ainge is leaving, which can't knock Danny Ainge overall career-wise but like the last four years have not been particularly great so there is some criticism deserved there we'll come back to that i'm sure here in a minute but like on the court this just wasn't a great team jalen brown being hurt didn't help but this wasn't a great team before the brown injury yeah i mean it was a the offense a lot of the times it's all been staring at jason tatum i was like i don't know just get us a bucket i guess um which was i mean like jason tatum somehow went to another level again this year but it's just like this offense was not good and the defense was not good um which is odd for a celtics team you start looking at guys like marcus smart i mean it's kind of in the same vein of portland right like you've kind of missed on draft picks last several years the romeo langford thing right like in others like even langford like 
just because of necessity actually ended up giving halfway decent minutes. But like the point is like Romeo Langford shouldn't have been playing. Yeah, he started in game four, right? It was like some of the best Romeo Langford we've seen since we drafted him, if not the best Romeo Langford we've seen. Right. So, right, like, so we haven't had draft picks. Basically every offseason for the last, like, three years has been just a disaster. And now we have we have Brown and Tatum, which we've always said, like, if you're going to have something, at least have two young star wings and go from there, which I do still agree with. But you're getting nothing out of the center position, like, consistently. You don't know if Tristan Thompson's playing, if Rob Williams is playing. We had to trade Daniel Tice just for that whole situation. Luke Cornett was like sneaky good for us. <laughs> like th- there was just not a lot going on. It's like, thank God, like Peyton Pritchard can kind of play, you know, but like, I'm so over Grant Williams. <laughs> like I'm so over Shimmy Ojale, but like, it's like the only options we had. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super interested to see where we go from here in terms of team building, because there's so many ways we could go having Brown and Tatum. Um, if that's what you want to play as your two, three, you know, in lineups, you know, in terms of like major team building ideas, if you want that to be your three, four, cause like I, I kind of said last year, Brown, if you have the, if you have the versatility Brown is like kind of the four is interesting to me. Cause he's like a good, good size, like six, seven, two twenty. Um, he'll defend whoever, and if you also have Marcus Smart, he can guard the better of the perimeter guys, and, like guards, and Brown can guard the better of the you know more wing types, and then Tatum take whatever from there, and then you just have a big and whatever other player you're putting out there, whether that is a Kimba or um, someone else. If you wanted a, a bigger guard out there, for example, you could put a bigger guard out there, and just run the offense through Tatum. Like it doesn't. The NBA is kind of proven. You don't need a point guard anymore. It's nice, but you don't need a point guard anymore as long as you have, like, that guy. And Tatum's kind of that guy. Like, he he elevated again in the playoffs. He elevated the season in terms of being a better pl- passer and playmaker. Not, you know, it's not Luka Doncic or anything, but, you know, he did elevate. And in the playoffs, like, he was just like, I'll, I'll score. Fine. You need me to score 50 as our only shot of having, like, or getting a win, fine. I'll score 50. And he can do it, you know, and that's not easy to do. I know the Nets aren't a great defensive team. Like, I get it. But, you know, like, still the fact that you have a guy who can do it is encouraging and promising and what you want to build a team around. So I don't know if Brad Stevens is a better GM than he is coach or whatever his technical title is, you know, team builder. <laughs> but I I hope it is because he, he maximized whatever it that crap heap was that Danny Ainge gave him. So maybe it'll be better. Maybe we can actually draft talent now. That'd be yep. cool. And, uh, but the free agency, it's not going to be a great market for Boston. Cause again, the money is still kind of tied up here. I don't know how, I don't even know who we're paying. But somehow the money's still tied up. I mean, uh, those Brown and Tatum extensions kick in, uh, which is just kind of crazy. And then you have Walker probably gets you close to the ballpark of a hundred million at that point yeah Um, i mean those three combined for like 90 million yeah yeah and that's it 
like that's that's your roster plus Marcus Smart, which is a piece maybe that Brad Stevens has to trade this offseason. Um, right, like Yvonne Fournier. Do we like try and side and sign and trade Yvonne Fournier? I don't know nope. who's you know going after Yvonne Fournier. God. You know, it helps in terms of the like roster building and roster spot allocation, but it's like, do we have to bring back Jabari Parker now? <laughs> it feels Eva? like it. It feels like it. And like, I don't know. I, I've, I've said this, I think for the last year is that the hardest part is over for Boston. Like the hardest, yeah. like the finding the guys are, is always the hardest part in the NBA and Boston's done that. Now you just got to fit, find the right pieces to fit around them, um, which is, I mean, unfortunately just kind of gone sideways in a lot of ways in Boston. Like Kyrie not really working out. Gordon Hayward just Al Horford. Not, yeah, Al Horford yeah. kind of being a wash, um, which is he coming back to Boston maybe? <laughs> I <don't want> him. <laughs> uh, and, like, that's the thing. Like they've had such a talent train there over the last couple of years that it's just hard to recover from that. And it's like there's credit to Danny Ainge in terms of getting those guys along with the two draft picks of Brown and Tatum. But the fact that those guys turned into basically nothing. Yeah. And thank goodness Tatum and Brown again did work out. Like that's, that's I mean, it. That, uh, that a lot of the credit to the Jalen Brown pick has to go to Danny Ainge and that team in the front office. Like yeah. there's like, that was not a consensus top five guy. And they picked him at three. And, and Brad he, Stevens need, deserves credit for developing him. Right? Yeah, right. And then the Tatum thing of like, they had the number one pick and they traded back. Didn't take Markel, took Tatum instead. You know, like that took balls. Yeah. And it worked, <laughs> you know? But like, I get credit, but what about since then? Basically nothing's gone right since then. Yeah. That's the issue. If this, it, it, like the having multiple picks, like the Kings pick and the Grizzlies pick, and things just like not doing anything with those picks, that's where you start getting into the conversation of like, all right, this is this is not good at this point. Exactly. Um, we'll go ahead and go to my other team, the Washington Wizards. Um, <laughs> your sons, your boys. Uh, <laughs> you know, I. We knew they weren't winning that for the series, but they, they gave a decent little fight there um, for a bit. Um, it it kind of comes back to the same conversation of like, is this is this it now though for them? Like, is it the is it blow it up time? I mean, it all depends. It all hinges if Brad Beal asks out. Like, if he asks for a trade this off season, like you tried to find a trade partner for Russell Westbrook. And you just kind of hit the reset button on this thing. Um, it, I think you could get a big package back for Bradley Beal. Um, but it just kind of depends on what he wants to do. If he wants to stay in Washington, this team just hasn't been good for the large part of the last two seasons. Uh, some of that has been due to injury. I mean, there's been some diamonds in the rough, like Daniel Gafford, right? Like he's Rui, been Rui's worked out. Yeah, we, we were not high on Rui coming out, but he's kind of worked out. Uh, their first round draft pick last year, uh, Adia, uh, what, what's Adia. His, Adia yeah. yeah, got hurt and didn't really play all that well this year. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know what you do with this team. This is kind of another head scratcher. They got to really look at themselves in the mirror and find out what they want to do this offseason. Would you give up if, and this, would you do this both ways? Would you do Russ and three first for Damian Lillard? I'm just, I know this is not happening, but like, I'm just throwing crap at the wall here. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I'm Washington, I do that deal. Yeah, right. Portland would just hang up the phone, I think. They would say, who? You want <laughs> You want us to trade for Russell Westbrook? Hang I'm on. giving three first. But the idea is like Portland, you're, re- you're rebuilding yeah. at this point. But you can still probably make the playoffs. But you're restocking your draft assets, which you drained for Robert Covington. Um, <laughs> you know, so. Um, I, I know it's not happening. But, like, the idea is either you got to get Brad Beal something more to work with here. Or you embrace the Avdia, Hachimura, Gafford, whatever you got going on there. You know, I, I'm not saying it's a great strategy either way, but like that's where you're at. You know, you know, it would be an interesting team for Brad Beal to land on. Go ahead. The Charlotte Hornets. Because they already have LaMelo. They have LaMelo, but you would have to give up probably Bridges. Rogier, Graham. Oh yeah, that's probably where you start. And if your money needs to work out, you might have to attach something else. I don't know, but um, something like that. And then a bunch of firsts and swaps. Yeah, you know, and that's <laughs> if you're a Charlotte, do you feel the need to do that trade? Probably not. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this this Washington Wizards team is in a precarious spot. They, they've got to figure out what they want to do. I mean, do, Bradley Beal seems like he wants to be loyal and win there, but the options for that to happen are starting to run slim. Yeah, and that's just the thing. If you don't have a great way of getting Brad Beal, a guy with them, and you're not – super confident in your young guys to develop like Brown or Tatum have, then either just be okay with it. And maybe they are, maybe they're just okay with how it is and move on. Or you just got to pivot. Yeah. You got to make that left turn. Um, the Knicks are going to be an interesting team this off season because th- they feel like the team that's clamoring to make a move. Well, but, they have that big trade exception, right? Like they have a massive trade exception. They traded someone away. I forgot who, but so they have the, like essentially a max roster spot. I mean, on the books right now, assuming because um, Randall's still on the books as an option, um, it's a team partially guaranteed, which the team would fully pick it up. Is at basically twenty million dollars. And then after that, it's like RJ Barrett at eight and a half. <laughs> like there's nothing in the middle there. In total, the team is signed up right now for about $55 million. So so you have probably two max cap spots or max well, ro- max, max yeah. contracts. So, and that's the thing. Like you can still bring back if you really wanted to, like Derrick Rose on like a pretty, you know, hefty deal if you really wanted to keep them because you have the space to do it. So 
the Knicks are like the team that like there's maybe not the great free agent out there, but like they have the money to spend. And so that's like the how could we sign and trade into space giving up picks or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have to, they have to figure out. I mean, they had a lot of guys on one year deals, right? Like Reggie Bullock, I think yeah. was on a. Burks is coming one. off. Um, Peyton's coming off. Nerlens Noel, Reggie Bullock, Tosh Gibson, all coming off the books. Norval Pell could come off the books. Um, yeah. Kevin Knox has one more year. I think the Knox experiment is over there. I think Frank you probably attach. Frank Mielikito is off the books now. Rest in peace, Frank. I mean, yeah, he, was, he could so. have been awesome there. But, um, yeah, so I, you have to re-sign Randall for sure. You have to figure out a deal with him, a long-term deal. Um, and then other than that, uh, maybe you just bring back the guys on one-year deals again uh, yeah. who, who'd be well. I, but maybe Reggie Bullock doesn't want to come back on a one-year deal anymore because he's kind of proven himself to be a 3-and-D guy. Um, and so he's looking for a longer-term contract. I think guys like Taj Gimson maybe could come back, but then you start getting into like Alec Burks, who probably also wants a long-term deal. Like he kind of proved he could score in the playoffs and be an asset. Like um, Burks, he's like 29 years old, right? Bullock is 30 years old. Gibson's right. 35. Gibson's to the point of just keep me in the league. But those other two, if they could get one more like three-year contract. And, and Rose is in the same boat there. Like they're yeah. not wanting one-and-ones or even two and ones they were looking for three year fully guaranteed deals. Right. Rose is 32. So that's just the thing with the Knicks is they built this kind of funish team, but like everyone's in their upper 20s, lower thirties, aside yeah. from like RJ Barrett. I'm not even counting Knox because he's like not a part of that team apparently anymore. <laughs> so Noel's Noel. Noel is 27. You yeah. know? He's going to want to, he's going to want to deal. He's kind of done his time. If he thinks someone will give me a four for 32, he's just going to take that at this right. point. Right. You know? So, which I don't blame him. You passed up a big deal previously in your career and it didn't work out. So if you get any substantial, like per year, you know, 8 million plus for three, four years, like you just got to take that at this point. Right. Right. So, I, I, I think the Knicks are in a tricky spot. They kind of have to land this draft pick. Um, I I think they have Dallas's draft pick, right? Also, Pretty sure, yes. So, so I think two... right now they're both in like somewhere between like nineteen and twenty three or something. Both you might on. be able to move up a little bit, get into the fifteen to seventeen range. Oh, I think um, yeah, for sure. Like you can move up at worst a handful of spots. Maybe um, if there's a team that loves you know certain guys you could trade up even like 12. Yeah. Yeah. So if they land that pick, they have a chance to re-sign some guys, but I mean, they have to be very careful here because we've seen in the past, the Knicks with open cap space is a dangerous thing. <laughs> it's yeah. not always end up with the best results. And, you know, maybe they're more cautious about Julius Randle after the postseason performance that he gave. Maybe not, but I, they have what to be careful like, with it. Gung ho, like we're gonna go get like Kyle Lowry, right? We're gonna go get him. Are you need Kyle Lowry like a four for hundred deal? Like you could, like you, like the the math says you could, but like should you? 
what is he 34 35 at this point yeah i mean like i don't think you should do that but i understand what you want kyle lowry right you're trying i still don't think kyle lowry puts this team in a championship contender like it maybe puts you in a feisty second round series but you're still not catching up to bucks philly or the nets at this point but if your idea is like, let's get Kyle Lowry now, and then we'll convince someone else at the trade deadline or next offseason, then maybe you have something. Yeah. I'm not saying for sure you do, but like, at least you have a better chance of doing something. So that's the thing. Like, this is one of those critical summers for like balancing their books long term between Randall and then a guy or two adding on to it. Or again, maybe like you said, just balloon pay a couple guys. Go get Kelly Olenek, re-sign Taj Gibson, whatever, you know. That would be the that would be the most next thing to do ever is to sign Kelly Olenek to like a four-year, eighty-five million dollar deal. <laughs> That's excessive. They're not going to do that with this management group they have now. Um, I hope the last team uh, is Miami. Ryan, thoughts? What do, what do we do here? Can I say that I think Miami's championship window is closed? It's not outrageous. Like their best chance was trading Tyler Hero earlier in the year for James Harden. They didn't do that. That looks ridiculous now. They lost bad then. (laughs) We're talking about James Harden, like a perennial MVP candidate, and you wouldn't include your like six man who didn't even play well this year. I, like Tyler Hero, I swear had like eight good games all year. He he like got his percentage up to like thirty two percent shooting from three. He got it up. Yeah, like it was, it was, it was bad. <laughs> and I understand you were in the bubble. All the things we said about the Lakers, but what do you do with this roster? It's uh, like it's not like Precious Achua is getting you to the championship Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, like Duncan Robinson isn't getting you there. Jimmy Butler, like maybe this team just needs to get healthy and have some time off. Sure. But the Nets have passed you. The Bucks have clearly gotten better than you. And Philly's still a better team than you. So you're at least the fourth best team in the East. Sure. Maybe. Boston doesn't do anything or Atlanta doesn't get some out. And I can make the case that Atlanta has passed them at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because... I mean, like, okay, so one, Oladipo thing didn't work straight up. Sure, but they gave up nothing to get him. Yeah, so I I was going to say, it's not a bad thing, you know? Money's coming off the books, whatever. Trevor Reza, whatever. Bielitsa, whatever, you know? It's the only guys, like, they're worried about losing. Okay, hold on real quick. Goran Dragic, 19.5 million team option. Pick it up, yes or no? I think you have to. Probably do. Because uh, I, I can't imagine. I mean, they have cap. I mean, their whole game plan was to get Giannis this summer, right? Like, we all know that. And that, as of right now, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And then Andre Gudala, $15 million team option. Pick it up. I don't pick it up. I don't pick it up either. Like, I'm not saying he's – not valuable, but for this team, I don't think he's worth $15 million. Like, he's just not. Yeah. Like, you could get him for what? At least $5 million left, if not more. 
could you could you tell him like hey we're gonna cut you know cut you but then we're gonna resign you to uh, three for 21 or whatever yeah you know him be like okay yeah cool get get that long-term contract but less money but seven million a year like if that was the thing then i'd be cool with it but like i don't need andre gudala on this miami heat team for 15 million dollars a year no um this year so there's that so it's really if you're assuming he's off the books your team payroll right now is sitting just below um 100 million dollars yeah i know right um do you bring back duncan robinson they have to I kind of think you have to also like, unless he's a part of like a significant sign and trade, you have to at this point, like, cause that's the problem with the roster of Butler and Adebayo as like your two top guys is like, who's shooting just straight up. There's, there's no one there. So Dragic and why you Robinson have to bring back Dragic unless you can convince him. Like we were saying with Iguodala, Hey, we'll re-sign you three for 36 right now, but we're going to cut you first to then sign the deal. If you're Dragic, you probably think you can get more um, on the open market, but, you know, long-term security, he's had health issues. It might not be the worst idea. Wouldn't the Lakers pay him more? I mean, yeah, probably. Give him, like, maybe a long-term contract? Like, that's the thing. Once you release these guys, like, why wouldn't other championship contenders step have up? like an agreement in principle? Yeah, but, I guess that's true. Know, on a long term, like three for 36. But why would he not back out of it and say, you know what? Never mind. They're offering me three for 45. I'll yeah. go there. Wherever there is, but I'll go there. So that's the thing with like Dead or uh, Robinson is like, you just kind of have to. If Hero would have balled out this year, you could have said, Thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah, you could probably find find a sign and trade somewhere and get yeah. something back for him. It's like a moderate sign and trade, like nothing like spectacular. Like we're doing it for superstar, right? You know, you could have done like the Malcolm Brogdon sign and trade. Yeah, where, you know, just get like a couple first back for him. Like this Duncan Robinson now, knowing Hero didn't play exceptionally well, you have really no other floor spacing options. You traded Kelly Olenek in the uh, Oladipo Oladipo trade, right? I guess you just have to bring back Robinson. As long as it's like a three for 45, you'd just be like, I guess. I guess we got to do it. Oh, I don't love that. And they don't even have any picks. Like, they have no picks coming up. If they release some protections on some uh, Oklahoma City picks that are <laughs> owed, they do. They could have some future first. Uh, but that means Oklahoma City would probably be getting some sort of asset back, which maybe you could dangle Kendrick Nunn there. I mean, I, like in theory, like they could just unprotect the picks. Like they don't have to do anything like yeah. else. He could just choose to do it. Um, you just got to get Oklahoma City to say, to say yes. I don't know. Cash considerations. Whatever. <laughs> um, this this Heat team is in a rough spot. I think they have to get really creative this summer. Um, and I, I don't know. Like this team had a really good chance at a championship last year in the bubble. Yeah, that was probably their best shot. 
And I think just the other teams are more talented now. And that this is a different looking NBA than it was a year ago. I guess if you're a Miami Heat enthusiast, though, and not necessarily in this group, but if you think Butler and Adebayo are two of the top what, 25 players in the league right now, you probably actually feel pretty good about you know going forward still for the next couple of years. But if you're like, I think Jimmy is a top 20 player, Adebayo is a top 30, 35 player, which is probably more so where we're at, then, yeah, you kind of have this, I don't know what you're doing, like, incredibly, like, clear pathwise for the coming couple of years. And I should say, if you have a super high opinion of Jimmy Butler, then if you think he's like a top 15 guy in the league, then you feel still great about Miami. And if you don't, then you don't. Portland and Miami are the same team. Changed my mind. They're stylistically opposites, but in terms of team, where they're going, you're probably right. That's the thing. It's like, you know, they have two, each team has two stars. One's a, I, probably Jimmy Butler, Damian Lillard are superstars. But other than that, like, there's a bunch of question marks around both of these rosters. You've somehow got guys that do kind of fit, but not just not enough. It's yeah. never enough, it feels like. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate. Like Miami, it feels like they should be better. And they're just not. Maybe it's just other teams are better. Like you said, maybe it's just Philly's better. Just straight up. Philly's better. Milwaukee's better. Brooklyn's better. And Atlanta might be better. Yeah. Yes, be better. Yeah. Like that's that's the scary thing is like the it, everything shifted kind of really rapidly. And it doesn't feel like Miami caught up. And once the Giannis signing happened, I mean maybe they're more optimistic about signing him, but man oh man, if they don't get Giannis, like that's an all-time blunder, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like and that mean and I mean that's trading for him in the future-ish. Yeah. And uh, what are you going to have to give up to get him? Everything. And what do you have to pair with him? Nothing. <laughs> there has to be a roster, right? There has to be yeah. a roster for him to still be playing for your team or else he won't have any interest in coming with, to your team. Like we've seen with like the Lakers or then like the Clippers or like the Nets. It's like they had to go through like three years of let's just accumulate some young players that are like worthwhile and useful and then we'll make the trade along with a thousand future picks. But Miami doesn't have them. Yeah. They're windows now. Yeah. All right. So we'll talk about teams that are still in the playoffs. Um, some interesting series. One one less so. Um, we we just watched Brooklyn Milwaukee today. We watched the Bucks tie it up at 2-2. Um, I don't know, Ryan. I don't I know the Bucks like, okay, they've won the last year now. For some reason, though, I still don't feel like overly enthusiastic about their chances here. I mean, it all depends on the health of Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Like if James Harden or Kyrie Irving is somewhat healthy, like this Bucks team is not making it to the Eastern Conference Finals again. Um, but if it's just one of the stars out there, and this time it's Kevin Durant, it's probably going to go the Bucks way. I put it on our doc that if 
Milwaukee can't win in six, they're not going to win the series because they go back to Brooklyn and they have game six in Milwaukee. Yeah. And that's their best chance. They have to win the next two or else Brooklyn's going to take the series. So like Kyrie, like apparently in a walking boot and on crutches. Um, Not a good sign. Not a good sign. Steve Nash says we were evaluating James Harden injury, but we're not going to rush him back based off of Kyrie's injury. Which kind of tells me Kyrie's not playing game five. Yeah. If that's your stance on Harden, then you you know Kyrie's out um, for at least a game. So, okay, so we have Kevin Durant. And the problem we saw today was uh, Durant's great, but if there's literally no one else that the Bucks have to worry about in terms of playmaking, they're just going to throw three guys at Durant and say, like, that's fine, you know? So, I mean, if it's just Durant – I mean, I don't know what else your lineups are, options are. You could probably throw Durant, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Joe Harris, Landry Shamit, some combo of that. It's effectively that. Jeff Green. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that the Bucks will then just play – they started to do it in games three and four is they're going to play off Blake, they're going to play off Bruce Brown, and just say – Go ahead. Take as many yeah. uncontested open threes as you want. Yeah. We're, we're going like to bet a, we can outscore you guys. Team. Yeah. It's basically, we're going to triple team Kevin Durant by extreme helping off of other guys. We're going to stay attached to Joe Harris. And then we'll put Brooke Lopez still in the front of the rim and say like Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, and or Blake Griffin, I dare you to do something here. Yeah. Like around the rim, which, you know, Brooke Lopez is a massive human being. Standing right in front of the rim. He right. doesn't foul a ton. He doesn't block a ton of shots. But he just bees in the way. He's really yeah. good at that. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, you know, we'll live with it. So unless, like, Landry Shamit's on the back end hitting, you know, optic corner threes, doesn't really do anything. Um, yeah. And he hasn't been. Yeah, and defensively, I think Giannis has realized, oh, Blake Griffin's on me. I can just go at go at him a hundred million times and Griffin wasn't terrible on defense today against Giannis, but like he can't do it for 40 minutes you know yeah, yeah that's the thing and that's where like jeff green maybe can help some but boy oh boy Giannis, once he gets that head of steam it's it's you know it's over and it feels like it that's why the nets were like basically just dying to take a charge against yeah. him all game <laughs> yeah and it worked early like they got to fairly quick fouls on him. Um, and honestly, Giannis was lucky. Like, he didn't get a third on him in the first quarter. Um, all charges. But that's just the thing is, Brooklyn knows we have no one to stop him. But if we can just get him in foul trouble, maybe that's, like, our best solution here. Yeah. And I think the other thing here is that Drew has kind of figured out he can get downhill against any of the Brooklyn guards fairly easily. And Chris Middleton has started to shoot the ball significantly better back in Milwaukee. So if that carries over to Brooklyn when this series comes back, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's an uphill battle for Brooklyn at this point. Also, Drew figuring out how to guard Kyrie. Yeah. <laughs> like Kyrie, like, borderline can't score on him. <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, it's incredible how good Drew Holiday is at defense. Like, it, it's just, it, if you're watching this next Brooklyn uh, Milwaukee game. Just watch Drew Holiday off ball, 
and it's it's really fun to watch. Like when Kyrie was in the game, I mean Kyrie, it's like he's taking just ridiculously contested mid-range jump shots, and it's like that's cool when the defenders Chris Middleton even, but it it's just not working when it's Drew Holiday. Like I know ABC threw up the graphic like this series when Drew has been guarding Kyrie, it's like 0.8 points per possession. And when it's anyone else, Kyrie's at like 1.3, <laughs> you know, it's a completely different game when yeah. it's Drew Holiday guarding him versus not. But the Nets, like, even if they would, I, I still have defense opinion, even though Drew was playing a great defensive game, if the Nets still would have had Kyrie all game, I think the Nets would have won the game. It kind of felt that way. It felt like, that way. It's always just like the Nets just need like two straight buckets from somebody not named Kevin Durant right now. From the moment Kyrie went out to the end of the game, they couldn't get it from anyone else. If it's like, because they kept like 11, 9, 7, but just couldn't quite get to that like, oh, now it's a one possession game. Milwaukee, what's your counting? Like they never really forced Milwaukee into like that, oh crap, we got to call timeout. We have to do X right now. And Milwaukee obviously has not been great in those situations in the past. So they just had to somehow string it along at 10 points, 12 points. And they hung on. But at no point did I ever feel it until Steve Nash made the mass subs uh, with like four minutes left that Milwaukee was going to win the game. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I've, I thought that going into the series, the X factor would be Drew Holiday. Uh, but, I don't think it's him. It's actually Chris Middleton and whether he can hit threes. Cause if he can run that pick and roll with Giannis, it kind of unlocks Milwaukee in a different way. Um, it, Cause if he's not hitting shots, it, the Bucks offense kind of gets in mud and, and that's when Brooklyn has really taken advantage of them. Yeah. And I mean, Milwaukee, part of why I'm also still not super confident in them is like, I mean, a lot of things went, right for Milwaukee tonight, right? Or this is today, his mid-afternoon game. Like, they were stroking threes, right? Like, they had, was it, like, 11 threes at the half? So, it's like, okay, you had 11 threes. You shot over 50% from three in the game. Um, like, Kyrie got hurt. James Harden didn't play. Kevin Durant, I mean, shot, like, 36% for the game. You know, it's like, and you couldn't build a lead, like a substantial lead, really. Like Brooklyn always just felt like they were one bucket away. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap, they're back. You know, like everything went effectively right. Like Giannis, we said he got the couple early foul calls, honestly avoided a lot after that, like, mm. or got some friendly calls or no calls, like in his way, which I'm not like, it just happens, you know, whatever, basketball. But like, that game went about as well as for Milwaukee as it could have gone. And they hung on. I, I needed Milwaukee to win that game, like by like 24. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're with how well they played and how in theory bad Brooklyn played. I needed them to win that. Like just, this is our statement game. Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point, I thought this after game three, it's kind of like if Milwaukee's going to win those series, they just have to muck things up. Like, they just kind of have to sludge things up. They have to put people in mud and just kind of just make the series a slog and, and just kind of go 
you know, the boxing analogy here, go whatever, 10 rounds. I don't know how many, 15 but, rounds. I don't know how many uh, boxing. And like PJ Tucker, like, you know, what is like the epitome of that today? Yeah. Right. right. PJ Tucker scored more in like the first quarter than he had all series. Right. You know? And he clearly didn't care if he was going to foul out in this game yeah. or not. It's like I, ref, you're going to have to call a foul on me every single possession. Cause well, I'm just going to play into Kevin Durant. He, because after Kyrie got hurt, like the Nets offense was literally Kevin Durant or bust. Yeah. And so the problem, like I, I slightly hadn't, I, I don't care who wins like Brooklyn, Milwaukee makes no difference to me. Like I'm not one of those guys that like, Oh, I'm a Boston fan. Brooklyn beat us. All right, Brooklyn, you better go win it now. I do not care about that at all. Just give me good basketball. So Kevin Durant has the ball every single time for Brooklyn. Right. Which means PJ Tucker's the on ball defender every single time. Not saying Kevin Durant gets, should get every foul call. Shouldn't. Neither should LeBron, James Harden, or anyone else. Right. But it's just going to happen where, like, whoever's guarding him is going to pick up more fouls than they would tend to pick up because they are playing on ball defense more than they normally would. Because Kevin Durant in a normal game is not playing point guard. Like, he's not, and he's not the only shooter. Like, I swear the third quarter, Kevin Durant was like the only guy who took a shot for Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. So, like, it would make sense for PJ Tucker to pick up more fouls in this game as opposed to a normal game because he's playing on ball defense two or three times more than he normally would because Kevin Durant is playing two or three times more on ball offense than he normally would. And it didn't seem like the foul calls leaned like towards that trend. How much is Durant playing offense? How much is Tucker playing defense? Therefore, foul calls just naturally because you're going to, it's just, again, it's just basketball. You're going to foul people. Like it, it's what you do. It didn't seem to correlate, you know? Yeah. And it's not that Milwaukee never got called for fouls, but it's like, man, Durant was, he was getting just right. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the thing. I think that's, that's the way PJ Tucker wants to play that defense. It's like, if I can oh, get Ke- Kevin Durant off of his game a little bit and playing a little bit more physical and I go out with six fouls. Like so be it. Then whoever behind me can just pick up the mantle and just play into his jersey a little bit. I think it's probably going to swing. Yeah, swing the other way. And the next game is that PJ Tucker is probably going to pick up three fouls in the first like three minutes of the game. Like that's how usually these things work. Um, But like the basketball universe will like balance itself back out. Like I get that, but it's like I don't know. At what point of a ref do you like? There's no way in hell that Kevin Durant is a nine for twenty-five shooter, and you know, like, can't get to the free throw line ever, and he's the only guy touching the ball. Yeah, for Brooklyn, like, there's something's got to give at some point. And today it was we're gonna let the physicality, like, overtake the game. Which sometimes games are like that. Some refs are like that. They're like, we we're gonna allow a little bit more. Okay, like that's fine. But I don't know. I feel like Giannis was. He could do whatever he wanted on the other end. Yeah. You know? It wasn't going both. Got the couple early charges, but after that, like, I don't know, man. He hit Jeff Green with a couple up high. He hit Bruce Brown with some up high. And it's like, no call. I mean, you saw Pat Connaughton go out with that, like, gash around. He he flew in for, like, a rebound, and Joe Harris, you know, got him with an elbow, like, on Mm. accident. Like, okay. Like, that, I wouldn't have called that a foul either. Like, it looked bad. And if, if he didn't have the cut, it, no one would have said anything about it. But right. It happened to, you know, cut his eyebrow or whatever. So, okay. You know, like th- those things happen. Like, I'm okay with letting that go. You don't need to call and foul on that. The play where Kyrie got hurt, 
I don't need to call foul on that for Giannis landing in his, uh, you know, his shooting space mm. when he's four feet from the rim. I don't need that foul call, right? I'm cool with letting that go. I'm cool with letting some of the ones against, like where Chris Middleton was, you know, hoping for a foul call. I'm okay with letting some of those go. And some of the Durant ones, I'm cool with letting some of those go. But it felt like that third and fourth quarter, man, Durant like, couldn't get a call. And it's like, okay, at what point? Yeah, I know he got ended up getting something. Like, I know that. He started hunting fouls after a while. But it's like, I feel like the game got out of hand from a physicality standpoint, which is exactly what you were saying the Bucks wanted to do. Yeah. And then even when he finally did start getting a few calls in the fourth quarter his way, it was to the point of like, it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Right. Like, it was like, if you would have been calling it this way in the third quarter, we would only be down six right now. And instead we're still down by 16 trying to battle back in. And I'm finally getting a call. I mean, thanks, but no thanks. Like this is yeah. it's too late. And Steve Nasser's subbing me out now. So thanks a lot. For yeah. Nothing. I don't yeah. care anymore. And so like, again, I, I'm not saying Milwaukee should feel bad after this game. You're it's two, two, like who cares? You won the game, but like, I don't feel if I'm like Mike Boonholzer, I don't feel like I figured it out. Like I know how to go win these next two of three games. Or like you said, the next two. Yeah. Like it's the next two or it's not happening for the books. Like if you're that coaching staff from Milwaukee, like you're looking at this, this the job your job's on the line um much <laughs> and you know who else knows what's going to happen with the bucks in that front office if they don't win um win the series so man the bucks have a, have a golden opportunity presented by some unlucky injuries for brooklyn what if you had to, if you had to pick right now are you picking the bucks to win in six no Oh, okay. So you're saying nah. are you saying well, Brooklyn? I think he's gonna play at some point. Mm. I think if he doesn't play game five, I think he's gonna play game six. So you're saying Brooklyn in seven? Yes. <laughs> it's like I don't pick Bucks and six. I don't think I really just don't think Bucks and six, but I don't feel great about Brooklyn and six or seven either. So you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But it, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm still not there with the Bucks in yeah. six. I, that means you're winning four straight on Brooklyn, even with the massive injuries they've undergone. I still don't think you can win four straight on Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, they, they would have to have another two games similar to what we've seen in Milwaukee. And uh, you're right. I don't know if that can happen. Uh, I would assume. I just don't think they're going to get those calls or lack thereof in Brooklyn. Right. Right. And I, you know, who knows if their shooting holds up um, going back to Brooklyn. It didn't in games one, two. So um, I'm going to say Bucks and six because the injuries. I don't if James Harden or Kyrie Irving don't play, I don't think Brooklyn has much of a chance. You may be right. You may be completely right about that, but I guess I don't know. I can't. I, I it doesn't feel. I don't feel know. good about picking the Bucks in six. I don't feel great. Like I, this Bucks team, if they don't win this series, it's done. It's over. Yeah. Like it's done. They're another team that they're going to have a very interesting offseason uh, pod for us at some point. Uh, Their one, two, three, Cancun. If it happens, is going to be is going to be heated. Yeah. It's going to be heated. 
so the other Eastern Conference uh, matchup, which is honestly a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be, um, was Philly-Atlanta. Is Philly-Atlanta. Um, Atlanta stole that first game, Ryan, but Philly's come back, figured it out, I think. <laughs> Their offense has just been so inconsistent. Uh, never trust Philly. Never trust Philly. That's what we've been saying for two years. Um, Even if this team makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals, I would not pick them against either Milwaukee or Brooklyn. Um, I just don't have a good feeling about either either one of these teams, specifically Philly. Um, I mean, we're talking about it off air. Their offense is just as goofy as ever. They can't get they can't get Trey Young for whatever reason into any action whatsoever to force him to actually defend the basketball. Um, and it feels like at times that it's Joel Embiid and Seth Curry out there and sprinkle in some Tobias Harris occasionally. And that's about it. Yeah. I, uh... I feel like at this point you're pretty much maxing out like what you can realistically expect from Embiid and Harris. Yeah. And so if that's the case, okay, again, you have role guys, Seth Curry, we mentioned Thibault, Danny Green's out for two to three weeks, um, assuming they were still playing in two to three weeks with this calf injury. We were talking off air that, you know, even Moss has, you know, been all right and other guys, this still just comes back to Ben Simmons. Yeah. Like, if you can hide Trey Young out there on two or three different guys because they're just not doing anything on offense, they're not looking at the basket, then Atlanta's in a significantly better position to make this go like six or seven games. But if, like, if you can, whether it's via switch or it's just straight up like Trey Young just lines up on whomever, if you can take advantage of that, then all of a sudden Atlanta is just like, we have no other moves because you have to play Trey Young if you're Atlanta. Like you just have to. Their right. offense is not completely busted without him, but darn near um, completely busted. So it's like, can you not get Trey Young switched onto Ben Simmons in the post? Like just like do it like two times in the first like five minutes of the game and get a couple layups out of it, please. And just like and maybe a foul on him, and just tell Atlanta this is all game. Yeah, so it's like you can help. You can send Clint Capella to help. You're just giving us open passes from Simmons to Embiid. Then, right, right. I, I, this, I mean, like to that point, like it took in Game Two, Shake Milton coming off the bench. Shake Milton was vibing the other day. <laughs> like this dude, I he took one in transition, and I swear, like I saw him cross half court. <laughs> And it was like, as he used to go to the end of I was like, he's pulling this thing. And he did. He pulled it from like five feet behind the three-point line. And it was it was per- pure. Yeah. But I was like, this dude is in his bag like way too much right now. That's the thing. is like you get these random games for guys. Like there was a good Cork Moz game the other night in game three. But like you're if you're a championship contender, it shouldn't feel like you get these random games from guys. To like be. You need Shake Milton, or you like, need a forecast. Doc <laughs> was going to, like, he was as baffled. He was like, All right, Shake, just go in the game and shoot some shots, I guess, at the end of the third quarter. And, like, he hit like two straight threes, and that broke the floodgates open for Philly. Yeah. And that's what it took. Like, it, like, Tobias is a good piece. Like, don't, it, don't 
misunderstand me in saying that like Tobias is fine. He's never going to be a number two option. Like at best, he's a number three. I think he's a good three, but right. Like the defense better severely make up for him. Like from other guys in a positive way, if he's going to be your number two offensive option. Right. And Danny green now being out like you, like you have to play cork significant minutes. He's not good. That good on defense. And so like, then you're looking at Thibel plus Simmons plus Harris minutes plus Seth Curry and Embiid. And like two of those guys are non-shooters. They don't even look at them. <laughs> like Thibel will take shots, but he's not a consistent shooter. No. So I don't like Thibel at all on offense, to be honest. So like I don't know. Like I this this team, I think they get past Atlanta in the next couple of games here. I think they could take it in five, probably. Atlanta can make it feisty, but looking beyond the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially Finals, like they're just going to be outclassed on offense. Yeah, like you know, a team like Milwaukee. Let's just say like Milwaukee makes it through Brooklyn because of the injuries. I mean, in theory, Brooklyn's like we're kind of fine with you wanting to muck it up, you know, play these games and like these, like we're cool with that. But at the same time, Milwaukee's like we're not trying to play you in the nineties. Like we want to shoot 43 and, you know, along with playing good. Sure. But like, we're trying to take a a bajillion threes. Well, like Philly really can't take, take advantage of Milwaukee's drop coverage defense. Like that's their specialty. And like, if you have Simmons and bead, like your best hope is putting in bead and Seth Curry in a pick and roll. Is that your best offense in that series? Well, it's kind of like the classic, like just like the Joe Harris thing in Brooklyn, where it's like we're just running like these little dribble handoffs to the shooter. Right. And, you know, trying to get the defense, like just doesn't have time to react, react. and get the shot up. I'm not going to lie. Like a weird thing for me in that series, like if that's what manifests, is like not running pick and roll with Embiid and like getting Lopez out of the way. Mm. And getting switches like for Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons, and then seeing what you can get with Embiid and like a secondary action more so, just because I feel like one of the things about Brooke Lopez is I mean, he's a very good defender, don't get me wrong, but like because he does the drop thing, everyone's like, okay, I guess I got to take three steps in and take a shot. When it's like, no, like that is exactly what they want you to do they want you to take like a weird 14 footer that like you're not super comfortable taking right like that's that's effectively what they want you to do and so like it's gonna make guys do that that really should not at all be doing that then like shake milton and guy and like in situations seth curry would take a gajillion mid-range jump shots yeah when it's really like Curry needs to be taking threes he needs to be like okay first action like with simmons and harrison work now we'll kick out to Embiid and do a quick DHO with Seth Curry. Like something like that. But I, I don't know how I actually feel about like running primary action consistently through Embiid. Like he needs to touch the ball like a thousand times. Don't get me wrong. But like, I don't know. Like you kind of got to take advantage of Milwaukee in other ways too, though. Like you got to yeah. hunt um, like Brent Forbes. But Philly's kind of proven that with Atlanta. They don't hunt guys. Otherwise, they can't. They, Young. they would 
hunt, you know, Lou Williams. And they don't consistently do it. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. I mean, may, maybe it's maybe Philly figures it out and can get past Milwaukee or Brooklyn, but I don't know. This, this series is just so bizarre in the sense that it feels like Philly should just be outclassing this team in Atlanta and they're not. Yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely feels that way. It's just like, the fact that Atlanta even somewhat plays a style opposite them and they're like efficient at it gives Philly problems. Yeah. So I was going to play a good team that can still play that way and play good defense and has size like Milwaukee. It feels like Milwaukee is, would be like the obvious winner there. Yeah. Yeah. Move uh, over to the West. Yeah. Let's go West. Um, Okay, real quick. Phoenix, Denver, this feels over, right? <laughs> Up 3-0. Yeah, Devin Booker has just gone to another level. And, I mean, unfortunately, Jokic, Jokic's MVP season is going to come to a close, I think, in the next couple of games. I mean, he's doing it all by, him, by his lonesome over here. <laughs> I mean, putting up 32-20-10 and 10 and not being able to get the win, I think, speaks more volumes about your team than it does about your individual performance. Yeah. No, it, that's the thing. This is not on Jokic. This is literally just a Michael Porter had like a game this playoffs. Otherwise, he's been okay. Aaron Gordon's been just okay. Like Monte Morris, I don't know. Has he been like this consistently second best player all playoffs for them? You know? Yes. Yes. So, and this team making it to the second round also speaks more to how bad Portland was versus how good the Nuggets are. Sure. I, I agree with that very much. So, um, so kudos to Jokic. Like he deserves the MVP very clearly. Yeah. Deserves the MVP. But like this Phoenix team, like Chris Paul, like just carving them apart. Devin Booker. Starting to look healthy now. Chris yeah. Paul. Um, yeah. Chris Paul, like the shoulder looks relatively fine. He's shooting threes again, which is scary. And not and, turning the ball over. And then like all the role guys for Phoenix are playing well, it feels like. Yeah. So it's just that. Denver, they have no more cards up their sleeve at this point. Like, they just, they have what they have, throw it out there, pray it works if it doesn't. Okay. Um, All right, so then the last one, another super intriguing series here. Really, I think we're getting three good series here in the second round. Is Utah and the the other Los Angeles team, the Clippers. The Clippers. Um, Man, I... I don't know what to do with the Clippers because it's like they don't start playing until they're down 2-0. Well, I mean, Kawhi's maybe the best player in the series. Uh, it seems to have toggled between him and Donovan Mitchell. Paul George put in a nice performance the other night in game three, which was much needed. If this Clippers team is at full strength and Utah isn't, Donovan goes out late game three no Mike Conley for this whole series. I mean, the Clippers might be looking at their first Western Conference finals appearance in franchise history. Right. Because, yeah, then that, that's the point of Utah just has no other on-ball creators, like consistent yeah. on-ball creators. Like Clarkson is a microwave guy. Yeah. You know, Ingles is fine for a few minutes. Bogdanovich is fine for a few minutes. But, like, you know, it's not playoff you know, second round worthy. I can go get a get us a bucket right now yeah. type of guy. Um, yeah, I think this series, 
I mean, it's a good series. I've watched all three games. It, the Clippers have obviously gotten much better on defense. There were some times in Utah in those first two games where Joe Ingles would just literally walk the ball up and no one would guard him. And he would just take a wide open three-point shot. Like we're talking about a 50% three-point shooter in yeah. the regular season, just leaving them wide open. When it's like they they didn't comprehend or like fully give him like due on like the scouting report. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we know. And <laughs> or like, yeah, whatever. And then he did it. And they're like, oh, I guess we have to guard him. You know, it's the Clippers like almost had to like take it something had to happen to make them take it seriously. Yeah. I think the Clippers have also found something on defense. They've gone to the Batum at the five um, and just have been throwing two guys at Donovan Mitchell and saying like, all right, other guys go ahead, try to beat us. Yeah. Um, like they were hard doubling Mitchell on every and, ball screen. And it works. I mean, it worked for a lot of the series for game three. Um, so if Donovan plays in game four, I wonder if Quinn Snyder has something up his sleeve to kind of counter that. Uh, in game two, the Clippers went to a 2-3 zone, and that essentially stalled Utah's offense as well. For a um, minute. So, I, I don't know. Um, this, this series is obviously tight. The Clippers absolutely have to have game four, uh, unless, unless they're looking at a 3-1 deficit going back to Utah. So, game four is a must-watch, right? Yeah, I the okay so one like you said the donovan ankle injury is concerning but if you're trying to avoid the double team the the easier solution or an easy relatively easy solution here is run donovan off of like that off ball screen include it included off a guy like that la would not want on him like reggie jackson right basically forced to play Reggie Jackson at this point because he's actually someone who can shoot the ball um, as opposed to like Pat Beverly or something. So, okay, so Reggie Jackson's playing. You don't want him guarding Donovan Mitchell, but all right, run run Donovan off of like the simplest down screen possible and either make them say, Jackson's going to switch, Reggie Jackson's going to double and therefore leave his man wide open underneath the basket because it's a down screen, or we're going to fight through and give Mitchell a head of steam, an easy curl or, you know, attacking with, with the ball in his hands at that point. So it's getting the ball to Donovan Mitchell, but it's not Donovan Mitchell bring the ball up the court or Donovan Mitchell catch it 40 feet from the basket. And then we'll come set a high pick and roll. Cause that's, what's inviting the double team is right. the high pick and roll with right. Gobert because they know like, it doesn't matter. Like you're not throwing the ball to Gobert at the free throw line because not making a decision there, whether it's passing or shooting, obviously, like he dunks. That's what he does. He dunks. So, or lays it in. He lays it in a lot. He's French. Um, but like, okay, so if that's not an option, then you got to pass it somewhere else. And by the time it's able to swing, swing to someone who is actually open, well, then the double team has time to recover. Right. right? So at that point, then it's done its job. It stalled Utah for an extra five seconds and the balls ended up on the left wing with Bogdanovich trying to play one-on-one with six seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. And that's a win for LA. Even if he makes the shot, that's a win for LA. Yeah. So you, you have to do more for Donovan Mitchell to avoid the double team and immediately making, if they do double team, his 
like the, the screeners open for a layup, like immediately as opposed to Gobert, like having to roll into it and do something or get him full ahead of steam. That's not off of a ball screen. Like he can do that. So I'm not saying that like it's the perfect play and you can run that a thousand times, but like you have to mix those in more and make LA at least think about what are we doing here? Are we switching? Are we not? Are we doubling? Are we not? Because after you give up a couple slips to like, you know, Jordan Clarkson, because you're like not used to Jordan Clarkson setting a screen and he gets a couple layups, Reggie Jackson's going to get confused on what to do, just straight up. And Tyler yeah. is going to be like, I got to pull him or I got to call timeout or something, you know? Yeah. You, just, you have to be willing to throw different things at him. And Kawhi and Paul George are so good that, that like, there's only so much you can throw at those two, but everyone else, you can be, you can do something to get them out of position or doing the wrong thing. Yeah, there was a play in game two, I think it was, where the L.A. double team uh, double team was coming, but it was, like, telegraphed. It came from the wing side. Donovan had the ball up top, uh, and the guy corner guy rotated up early because he saw the pass, and Donovan read it and hit the corner for a wide-open three, Bogdanovich three. It's stuff like that, like – that LA has kind of figured out is like, we're just going to double team off the screen. Like you were saying. Yeah. Don't and, random send a double team. Like yeah. without a screen. Yeah. And that's what, that's what now. LA was lost defensively sometimes on dis- assignments early in the series. Um, I think at this point it, it's, it's whether Donovan can get a bucket and whether they, they he can generate, generate office offense off those double teams. If yeah. Conley plays, this offense kind of turns into something else. And I think the, I think Utah has a really good chance at winning the series, but if Donovan's injured and can't read those double teams as well, then LA has a really good chance to take the series pretty handedly. Cause on the other end, like Utah doesn't have a great individual answer for Kawhi and or Paul George. Like it's like, Royce O'Neal and Bogdanovich is essentially your yeah. choice there. And that's, I mean, they're not terrible, but it's not great. Like the best defender for Paul George is Paul George. Cause he gets, you know, but like Kawhi, it feels like there's borderline, nothing you can do, but like, you know, I watched the other day and everyone's oh, Paul George having a great game. Paul George, Paul George, Paul George, Kawhi outscores him. Like yeah. on incredible efficiency. And that's without him even playing like hitting threes. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, this dude's just a freaking machine out yeah. here. The clock. It's like, I, I don't know what you do if you're Utah against Kawhi Leonard, straight up. So, honestly, you got to – you almost have to do, like, what Milwaukee did to Kevin Durant after Kyrie got hurt today, which is, like, get him in his feelings. You gotta get him in his head, like, get in his jersey, and just be, like, all over him and muck it up. Yeah. If you can do that and if the refs allow it, then honestly, like you feel like you're in a pretty good position there because LA, we've talked about it, like Reggie Jackson's like the third best offensive creator they have right now. So and that's not good. Not good. Not good. I've experienced that. It doesn't end into a championship. <laughs> Does not um, lead to a championship. Can confirm. Um last question I had for you, Ryan, here. Um yeah. that the heck are we doing with the Clippers rotation? Like, is, is Terrence Mann playing? Is he not playing? He should. I don't understand. We figured this out in the Dallas series. Like, he was a good 
good player for you. And then he's getting like five minutes in games one and two. <laughs> and then he spikes up to like 30 minutes in game three. Like, what are we doing, Ty Lu? They can't figure out if they're playing Patrick Beverly. Are they not playing Patrick Beverly? Are they playing Zubach? Are they not playing Zubach? Let, let me let me make playing. this abundantly clear for any Clippers fans. You're not playing Patrick Beverly. You're not playing play Patrick Beverly. You should not play Patrick Beverly, right? I don't care how much money you pay him. Yeah. You should like you can't play him right now. You just right. can't. hundred um, percent. Like he needs to be like I'm like, you know what? We're down 14 right now. We need a change of scenery, you know, change we of we need a spark. Guy. Yeah. Okay. Throw in Patrick Beverly. For like three minutes. That's the max he's playing. He's not <laughs> playing like 15 minutes. Yeah. Right. But like like again, I know I've like somewhat unreasonably like been a pro Luke Kennard guy, but like play Luke Kennard over this guy. Like what are we doing? We're paying this guy sixty million dollars. And then the first like four games of the Maverick series, he just gets DNP <laughs> coach's right. decision. And then, and then it, plays like a good game and then like then goes back to playing like five minutes after that. Like in the first part of the Dallas series, it's like, oh the Clippers don't have shooting. It's like, yeah, they do. He's sitting on the bench. He's yeah. like a 48% free or three-point shooter. And he's just sitting there. Yeah. Instead, we're gonna let Marcus Morris take a thousand shots. You Good know, it's God. Just... if I see one more Marcus Morris like swing, swing, and he catches the ball and he just stares at the rim, and the defender's able to recover, like I'm gonna pull my hair out. I swear on the good Lord's life that this guy <laughs> needs to figure out how to either attack the basket or shoot the shot. I don't know how you dealt with him for how many years in Boston. I swear I- he had like a handful of good games. One of them was the OKC game you and I went to together. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think he's had a good game since then. Like, I, I, I swear, I've never seen a guy just pass up more open looks or just like hold the ball and not do anything productive with it and just like reset <laughs> it than Marcus Morris. And then still somehow end up taking a bad shot. Like, <laughs> And I watched a lot of Knicks games. I was watching Julius Randle this year. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Like that, oh. we are this deep into it, and I legitimately, I think Tyler's, a, you know, at worst a decent coach in the NBA. I he has no idea what like his eight man rotation is right now at all. Yeah, because Marcus Morris has like a fantastic twenty point like amazing efficiency game, and then he turns around and hucks a bunch of threes that are just bricks. Yeah. Like, you, you just don't know what you're getting out of... Like, I think you know what you're getting out of Kawhi every game. I think you know what you're getting out of Terrence Mann every game. Outside of that, I don't know. <laughs> That's a problem! Yeah. That's a huge problem. If oh. Paul George works, Paul George is a great player. But if Paul George doesn't work, he's like a complete zero out there. You know, oh. it's just like, they, they have so many guys that it's just like, we never know what we're getting out of you. This, this team is... I think the most frustrating to watch. Like and I watched a lot of Rust led teams. It's I don't know what like it, you nailed it on the head. You don't know what you're getting from your station guys. And one of your superstars could be the second best or best player on the floor at a given time or one of the worst. And there's no in between. Yeah. Again, they legitimately depend on Reggie Jackson. So that's the 
summary of the Clippers right now. I really they don't I'm, only honestly, depend I, on Reggie Jackson. They're playing Nick Big Toom big minutes. Yeah, another guy that's like that dude. Like, not that he should be out of the league, but like he's one of these guys that like he's he should be like a wonderful sixth man right now. A wonderful ninth man. Let me replace <laughs> that for you. Like it, this guy is playing set like. I don't know. I, I'm kind of hard out on these Clippers. Like, if they win the championship, great for them. I just don't see, like, where they put it together for another two series. Yeah. I, part of me is, like, it's wide open to win the championship this year, to be honest. Completely but wide we've open. we've seen this with the Clippers team before. Like, it was wide open for them multiple years. They were up, what, like, 3-1 on the Rockets? And they managed to lose that series. I know it's a different team, different set of players, but good lord, this Clippers team. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, theory, it's like you only have to get through Phoenix, quote unquote, you only have to get through Phoenix. And then whoever Phoenix comes out beats East, this team. Phoenix 100% beats this team. The way they're playing right now, yeah, they do. Devin Booker would put Paul George on a poster. <laughs> The book going for 15 right now already. Still four minutes left in the second quarter of this uh, game four. If there's a, a, just a side note on Devin Booker, we'll end on this. Is he the most Kobe-like player left in the league? I mean, in terms of like how it like style, I mean, I mean, he's kind of got like the same build also. I was going to say like Tatum's a guy also, but like Tatum's significantly bigger than Kobe ever was. Right. Physically, like he's four inches taller than Kobe, and so. Devin just loves getting downhill. Like yeah. loves, he's not a three point shooter really. That's the crazy thing about Devin Booker is like, including myself, like he was tabbed as a three point shooter, and yeah. actually like, eh, he takes like four or five a game. That's it. He's more like, he's more like Chris Milton, but like on steroids. He's oh man, he's so special. Yeah, he's very, 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 very good now. Like, Chris Paul makes him look even better, don't get me wrong, but he was very good. Yeah. Monty Williams, coach of the year. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about this other guy who won it. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, that's our that's our episode 111, Matt. Do you have any other parting words for people who have stayed with us this long? This is our comeback, for sure, after a, a hiatus. Um, yeah. I'm I'm super pumped uh, because we will not take this big of a break moving forward. And we only got a handful of pods left, though. I know. Only a few more left, and then we got uh, Western Conference and Eastern Conference and then Finals and then Draft. Your draft board's coming up. Yes. So we're going to have to have a breakdown of that. Oh. All 200 players. I'm just kidding. Oh, holy God. <laughs> uh, when's the draft lottery? That's coming up soon, right? Yeah, no, that is. Um, I was looking at it the other day. Let me look at this. Because they did the coin flips already for like the ties. Um, Oklahoma City got the four. I was at work, and I just threw my hands up. <laughs> yeah, that was that was big time, actually. Um, the 22nd of June. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're nine days out as of yeah as of this recording next um yeah holy god that's a uh, scary when do the finals start when's that well we're gonna have another three weeks 
four yeah, weeks. Probably because two weeks for the next round and then week-ish for the rest of this one. Yeah, three weeks. Start of July. July 8th. Yeah, July 8th and could end on July 22nd. And then, you know, new season starts October. Yeah. It's got to be a short turnaround here. It's got to be a short turnaround. Well, that's it for episode uh, 111th. 111th. Episode 111. We've been on hiatus too long. I'm out of practice. I'm rusty. Uh, Anyways, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you back next week for episode 112. Yeah.